Great. Well, it is a significant morning. If you've been following the history of this church, I was thinking just now as we were praying um, up in Bankery Christian Fellowship, which was planted 20 years ago, Duncan Ryan will be preaching the word this morning. And uh, in Dawnside, which was planted just a couple of years ago, John Merson is preaching the word. And then this afternoon at four o'clock, Dougie Simpson will be preaching the word for the first time in uh, Tory. And uh, sadly, you've got me, but what can you do? Um, four different locations now, praying that the word would spread and spread and spread. And I emphasize that because today's passage is all about the word of God and why it matters so much. So please do have your Bibles open. 1 Samuel 3, a well-known passage, at least the first half is well-known. The kid's story of uh, Samuel being called three times and all of that. Do we know the second half of the chapter? So let's hear the word of the Lord. Now, back in uh, 2018, the polling organization, OnePoll.com, conducted a survey of the top 20 things that people in the UK felt they could not live without. Now, this was the year before COVID started, so it might be different now, but the highlights were certainly interesting from this poll, things that people could not live without. Of what were considered basic necessities in life, the number one thing in the UK that people couldn't live without was central heating. Number two, satellite navigation. And number three, coffee, which is overtaking tea apparently as our favorite national drink, but there you go. Of what were considered the most needed luxuries in life, here are luxuries we can't live without. Number one was foreign holidays. Number two was subscription TV. And number three was a very nice car. When it came to comparing young and old, the young said the number one thing that they couldn't live without was a smartphone. Guess we could have guessed that. And the old said the number one thing that they couldn't live without was a good pair of glasses. And I can <laughs> truly relate to that. Now, it's interesting, in the middle of this survey, many commented that they needed time off work to enjoy these necessities and luxuries. And the most important thing they said that money can't buy was to hear regularly the words, I love you. Now, I don't know how those answers resonate with your life today. What do you think right now? What's the most important thing, the thing you cannot live without in your life? The Bible, of course, has a very different approach to this question, things we can't live without. And in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, the one thing that the Bible says we cannot live without is the Word of God. Without God's word, we have no direction in life, whether we have smartphones or nice cars or whatever, no direction. We have no understanding of why we are alive. We have no understanding of what we're living for. We have no connection with our creator and his purposes for our lives. This whole passage is all about the word of God and its central importance in everything we do and say and think. And it begins with this basic premise, first point of the sermon, we can't live without God's Word. That's the first ten verses of 1 Samuel 3. We can't live without it. The passage opens with the poignant words in verse 1, the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. 
So Eli was the high priest in Israel, and Eli's sons were just running amok. And the nation as a whole was immoral because they weren't hearing God's word. And immediately after the verse, there was no frequent vision, we are told in verse 2 that Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. Now that's not just Eli's physical blindness, but especially his spiritual blindness. As the priest of Israel, he was not receiving God's word because of his disobedience, and there was no Bible teaching in Israel. And that was a tragic state of affairs. It's very similar to the days of Amos. Amos chapter 8 says, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. When God's words are not at the center of our own lives and a church's life, then ritual becomes empty and life becomes aimless. We simply can't live without God's word. And that's why we give such a high priority in this church to the preaching and teaching of God's word. 30-minute sermons, plus sometimes in the morning and evening. Bible studies during the week, one-to-ones with friends. Some people may think that's a bit too much. I've been told that's a bit too much. But actually, God rules over us and breathes life into His church through His Spirit-inspired Word. And a church where the Word of God is not being preached stops being a church. It's that serious. John Calvin said there are three things that are necessary for a church to truly be a church. Number one, the proper exercise of church discipline. Number two, the proper use of the sacraments. And number three, which is first and foremost in his thinking, the pure teaching of the Word of God. And there's lots of pulpits in our land where there's no Bible preaching happening. They're not churches, just social clubs that happen to do communion and stuff like that. Just social clubs. Here was the weekly diary for Calvin's church in Geneva in 1541. It says, each Sunday there is to be a sermon at Saint-Pierre at break of day. At midday there is to be catechism for little children. At 3 p.m. a second sermon. And on working days there will be a sermon at Saint-Pierre three times a week on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You thought we were over the top. But when the great Scottish leader John Knox visited Calvin's Geneva, this is what he said. He said, it is the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles. Because the word of God was all over it. And yet so many churches are going in the opposite direction in our day. The evening service in many churches has just disappeared. And sermons in the morning have become 10 minutes of storytelling and anecdotes. Others can be a bit longer, but it's just a motivational speech, barely linked with explaining a Bible text. And often when a Bible text is explained, it's way off beam. It's not what the passage is saying at all. That's what's happening in a lot of churches. And that is why the national church is in such decline. This is a judgment from God. There is a famine for hearing the Word of God, a God-sent famine. You cannot build lifelong discipleship when you are serving milk every week rather than meat. 
God has chosen to communicate with us primarily through His Word. His Word isn't always exciting. Some parts of it are pretty hard to grasp. Other parts we just don't want to hear because they're too offensive. But we can only get to know God and grow as believers when we hear His Word to our hearts and obey. And we're dedicated to giving you a diet full of spiritual meat so that your life isn't built purely on motivational speeches, which actually can't do anything for you when tragedy hits your life or moments of deep sorrow and questioning. That's when you need to lean on the deep reservoir of God's Word stored up in your heart, ready to tackle every season of life. So if you want to really wrestle with what God actually says, with His eternal character, with His plan of salvation, the bits that you get, the bits that you don't get, with His call to deep discipleship, then let's do that together. Christians who want a sugar rush on a Sunday morning will never make it to spiritual maturity. And here was the desperate state of Israel. There was no word from God or vision from Him in Israel as an act of judgment because even the priests weren't listening. But God was going to start again with Samuel. There is wonderful grace in this passage. Look at the subtle wording of verse 3. Verse 3 says, The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, on one level, that's talking about the candle that was lit permanently in the temple. But the writer is saying a deeper thing, surely, here. God was not going to let the lights go out in Israel altogether. If they got rid of His Word, that would be it. God was going to bring His people back to His Word, starting afresh with this boy, Samuel, whose mother's sacrifice had led him to be ready to receive the Word of the Lord in his life. But in this famous episode, which I'm sure you've heard a hundred times, it took three attempts to even recognize the Word of God. That's how unfamiliar they were. Think about this scene. There is a priest in the temple, and there is a young boy, and God is only interested in speaking to the young boy. Because God is looking for someone who will bring His Word back to His people, and He's given up with Eli. He won't share His Word with a decadent priesthood. And three times God calls to Samuel, but Samuel, of course, as a little boy, doesn't know who it is. In fact, we're told rather surprisingly in verse 7, it says, because Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Which seems kind of strange. Clearly Samuel was growing up in the temple, surrounded by all the paraphernalia of Jewish religion. He knew a lot about God, but he had not yet had his own personal experience of hearing God speak into his own life. Maybe that's you today. You may come to church every week, but you've never really heard God speak straight into your heart in that one-to-one, I can't ignore this sense, in a way that deeply convicts you. Perhaps today is the day. You'll stop listening to sermons as an academic exercise, and you'll start hearing God's voice speaking directly into your life. 
That's the key sign that you really are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. We can't live without God's Word. Let's pray, all of us together, that we will hear the voice of God. We say, well, we've got lots of sermons. Well, it doesn't mean that you're really hearing the voice of God. It's a two-way street going on here every Sunday. Let's pray that God will speak deeply into our hearts in a compelling way that leads us towards obedience and faith, or else that Word will get snatched away. And the best way to begin is to use those famous words that Samuel used in verse 10 of this passage. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Not speak and I'll analyze whether I agree or not. Speak, Lord, your servant. I'm ready to obey your will. Your servant is listening. Those are people who really hear the the word of God. So we can't live without God's word. Secondly, we can't escape God's Word. Verses 11 to 14, the bit of the passage that might be less familiar. The message God had for Samuel was actually a frightening one of judgment for Eli and his sons. Imagine this is your first revelation from God. Verse 11 says, God says to Samuel, I am about to do a thing in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. God's communicating that to a a, a young lad. Which is actually wonderfully encouraging for any young lads in this room today. Remember Wayne Gruden, he's got this huge systematic theology book. It opens with the words, I first became inspired for theology when my senior pastor taught me a Bible class when I was 13. 13. Are you into the deep things of God yet at 13? He's ready for you if you're ready for Him. Now this message of judgment is showing that God always keeps His word. If He declares something, it will certainly happen, perhaps not right away. In fact, many things that God says He will do in Scripture take a lot of time, sometimes hundreds of years to happen, but they always happen. We can't escape God's Word. God had declared that He would bring judgment on the house of Eli. That's a whole That's generations of priests. And it's the thoroughness of his judgment that strikes you in the verse that we really don't want to read in this passage. I will fulfill all that I have spoken from beginning to end. God is as firm and full in his judgment as he is in his love and grace. There are no half measures in God's salvation. He saves to the uttermost those who trust in Christ. There's heaven and glory forever. But there are no half measures in His judgment either. If you reject Christ, it's a forever thing. God says He will judge all those who have not put their faith in Christ, who have not had their sins forgiven, and are currently living in rebellion against their Creator. That's the reality. You might not think you're living in rebellion, but you are. And God's judgment will be as far-reaching as it was for Eli's house. God had been watching Eli and his sons for years, watching their decadent and immoral lifestyles, seeming not to do anything about it to begin with. These guys were sleeping with prostitutes. They were mocking worship rituals. 
and they seemed to be getting away with it. But actually, with every sin, they were storing up judgment that God was about to unleash. Verse 13, I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity, the sin that he knew. Now notice, God is judging Eli and his sons for sins that they were very clear about. They knew exactly what they were doing, but they refused to stop. Verse 14, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. God was so enraged that a priest of Israel responsible for the moral direction of God's people had paid no heed to God's word and sat back during national spiritual decline. The sin of spiritual leaders is more serious than any other. Of course it is. I need to guard my own heart. Please pray for us, for every pastor in this church, every elder, every home group leader, every head of a family. We are more accountable because of our position of authority. We lead other people. Now, there had been forgiveness available. There always is. In the Old Testament, it was through a a system of animal sacrifices. You killed the animal and sins could be paid for. That's how God was, was doing it. But Eli and his wicked sons were told here, they were past the point of no return. Now, for us today, there is hope for us to be truly forgiven. Jesus died on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice that all these centuries of Old Testament animals being killed, I was pointing to. You'll get that. You'll understand Jesus if you get this. That's how God forgives sins. He had his own son slain to save you. And he can save you for what, from whatever you have done. No matter who you are or what you've done in the past, he invites you to receive his full forgiveness. That is the scandal of the Christian message. Even terrorists and murderers are forgiven when they trust in the cross of Christ. But if you don't repent, if you don't ask forgiveness, if you keep refusing God's invitation, there will come a point of no return. We can't escape God's word. He has promised to save all those who trust in Jesus Christ, and He has promised to judge all those who die in their sins. Now is the time to listen. Now is the time to consider the cross. Forgiveness is available for every sin you have ever committed, will ever commit, no matter how grievous. This might be the thousandth time you've heard that, and you're getting bored hearing it. When are you going to make a decision? Jesus has paid the full price. You've just got to receive a gift, as Dougie was saying. That's what atonement means. It's covered. You've just got to receive it. But there is a point of no return. Which is why Hebrews 2 says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The clock is ticking. We can't escape God's word. His judgment is as real and as fixed as his salvation. So come and receive the salvation he offers you today. We can't live without God's word. We can't escape God's word. Thirdly, we can't hold back God's word. Verses 15 to 18. This message of judgment did not go straight to Eli. It came to Samuel. 
And you could understand how uncomfortable that made Samuel feel. He was just a young lad, and Eli the priest was his mentor, lived with him every day. And verse 15 says, Samuel lay until morning, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Of course he was. That's understandable. He was no doubt very fond of Eli. They seemed to have a good relationship. Why ruin it by telling him of God's judgment? But Eli was insistent. Verse 17, what is it the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. Imagine an old Christian friend at the end of life saying to you, why did you hide it from me? Samuel told him, holding nothing back. And this was a really important moment in Samuel's life because he was actually learning not just to receive God's word and understand it, but also how to go and tell it. Two things, we receive it and then we go and tell it. He was learning how to be a prophet, a spokesman for God. And there would be many times he would have to bring God's unpopular word of judgment to the people. That was his job. But this one was particularly difficult. Face to face with his mentor, Eli. But we can't hold back God's word. However much we wish it wasn't true. However little we want to upset our friends and family and people we've got close to, we can't hold back God's word of salvation and judgment because it matters so much. And God has entrusted us as his people to bring his word to friends and family. And if we truly love them, and if we truly believe God's word, then we've got to open our mouths. Let people know what God has spoken. We can't hold back the Word of God. His Word of salvation, first and foremost, we want to emphasize the love of God, the beauty of Him sending His Son to die for us. But on the other side of the coin, His Word of judgment that goes side by side. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Because we're sinners heading for judgment. The gospel coin has two sides to it. But of course, because of that, it takes real courage to be an evangelist. It takes a deep conviction that God's word is true, and it takes real compassion for our friends and neighbors and the people God brings across our path. But God has appointed us, don't we know it? He has appointed us to be his living mouthpieces, just as he made a little boy Samuel his spokesperson to communicate the full reality of the gospel to people who have never heard it. God understands our reluctance. That's why this passage is here. He gets the emotions involved. We are all of us Samuel dreading to talk to Eli. But we can't hold back God's word. So let's encourage each other as a congregation, not just to come and listen, but also to go out and tell. Let's pray for each other. Let's share experiences we've had with non-Christian friends during the week. I met this person at the supermarket Wednesday. Good conversation. Can you please pray as I think of giving a piece of literature now to him or her? Will you pray with me? There is this soul last day coming up in November to give us tools to share the gospel. Come, get equipped, learn how to engage with people, how to ask penetrating questions at work on a Wednesday afternoon, and how to share your story of faith. Have you ever written out your story of faith? Not just for the moment you're baptized, but after that, so that you're ready to share. 
It's on the tip of your tongue. But whatever we do, let's not hold back God's word from those who so desperately need to hear it. We can't live without God's word. We can't escape God's word. We can't hold it back. And fourthly, we must live under God's word. That's verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, and Samuel grew. This is now a panoramic picture of his life. And the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. So there was a wide acceptance throughout Israel that God's word was now coming to them via Samuel. And they listened to him and they submitted to him as their prophets. His, his words did not fall to the ground. In fact, often that's the last prayer before I get out of that seat and come up here. Lord, don't let these words fall to the ground. Let them achieve the purposes for which you sent them. In other words, in this context, people recognized that Samuel's words were inspired by God and had greater authority then than any other words that the people heard. Now, of course, Samuel was not the authority. This is not telling us to make guru figures out of pastors and preachers who are just sinful people like you. No, the authority is in the Word. So I have authority in this church only to the extent that I bring you the unadulterated word of the Lord. Ask yourself, have I done that today? Have you heard the unadulterated word of the Lord today? That's why we need to go closely through Bible passages so that we can all see together this is what God is really saying. But when that happens, when God's Word is being faithfully brought to His people by appointed spokesmen who open the Word and hold nothing back from what it contains, then we are all called to submit and live under that Word, myself included. To submit to the Word of God as our ultimate authority in life, more than the words of our spouse or our parents. This is where it starts. Biblical preaching is a sacred moment of elevated authority. Don't let these words that we preach week after week fall to the ground. Live under them and put them into practice in your life. Listen to the Word. Test it. You remember the Bereans in the New Testament with Paul? It says they, they listened to Paul and then they went away and examined the Scriptures to see if Paul was really telling the truth. You have a lot of con men out there. They're really telling the truth. Is this what the scripture teaches? And of course, this is more than just Sunday mornings listening to preaching. The word that you have in your hand today is the rule of God over your whole life. Open it tomorrow morning as well. Don't wait for Sundays to light the fire again that's gone out during the week. The Holy Spirit promises to teach you as you submit to the word. Now, that isn't about having a great intellect. It's about having a hungry heart. God's word here came to a little boy who simply said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He was right in the place to hear God's word. And if you come to God's word every day with that humble heart saying, Lord, I want what you've got for me today, whatever that is, I am your servant ready to obey, then he will speak to you, no doubt about it. God is not calling geniuses 
He's calling hungry hearts to feed on His Word who are serious about walking with Jesus all their days. I know top-level PhD scholars whose job is to communicate biblical theology to people, but they're not believers themselves. They haven't really got it. They can analyze a text, but they don't get it. I've seen grannies who left school when they were 15 who are drinking in the Word and their whole life speaks out the Word because right from day one they said, Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. And they got it. It's about hunger, not about academic nows. God's people are led by God's Word. We can't live without the Word. We can't escape the Word. We can't hold back the Word. But God becomes our joy and delight as we live under the Word. The light of God's Word in Israel was like a flickering candle about to go out. Very similar to Scotland today. It's a flickering candle about to go out. But with Samuel's arrival, the Word became a flame. And God's Word, inspired by His Spirit, can become a flame in your heart as well, in this church as well, in growing and growing measure. It will become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Let God's Word go to work in your life. Become obsessed with the voice of God. Until your faith turns from a spark to a flame. That's how it happens. Let's walk that journey together. That's it. Let's have a moment of quiet. And then I'll pray. And then we'll sing our closing Father, forgive us for how this nation has treated your word with contempt. This nation used to be called the people of the book. And now, in pulpits and in hearts all across the country, that word has all but vanished. The light is flickering. And there are few remaining outposts of the Word of God. May this be one of them, we pray, by your grace. And may our hearts, may our homes be a place where God's words are revered more than any other words, more than the words that come through the television or our internets. May the time that we spend in your Word outmatch the time that we spend listening to all the other drivel and worse than drivel false messages from the worldly wise taking us down a path that leads to destruction help us to hear the word of God with all the voices clamoring for our attention and give us that humility that says today tomorrow morning when we get up speak Lord for your servant is listening 
we acknowledge from this passage that you will only speak clearly when we have this attitude. Your servant is listening. Help us to come to you as servants ready to do your will and really listening. And speak to us, Father, we pray. Things that we want to hear about hope and blessing and comfort. Also things that we don't want to hear about judgment and pain and walking the rugged road with Jesus. Hold nothing back from us, we pray, until we become people of your pleasure and our faith turns from a spark into a flame. May your word rule over this church in all the days to come. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen.